Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can UFOs be mistaken for ghosts? What really happened around the hills of Burton Dasset in Warwickshire, England in 1923? Is it still going on? Hello and welcome to the 881st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON uh, AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app with TalkStream Live and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those up and down questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a new guest on a fascinating UFO case we have never really heard of before. So uh, if you'd like to join us on on the air, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or uh, get to us via various social media platforms. Richard Rokeby is a writer and researcher with a keen interest in history, mysteries, and forbidden knowledge. He served in the British Army and the U.K. police. He holds an advanced certificate in education from Canterbury Christchurch University. He is a qualified police detective and is married and has three children. He lives in Warwickshire, pretty much right in the middle of England. Uh, because of his police service, we will not show him in the video feed of today's show. Instead, uh, we will show relevant sites from the case and from Richard's book, The Lights Upon the Hills, The Burton Dassett UFO Events of 1923, recently published by our friends at Flying Disc Press. So, Richard Rokeby, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much. Thank you ever so much for asking me on. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure and an honor to be asked on to to show. So, yeah, thank you for that. Oh, wow. It, well, thank you for being with us. Uh, so I guess, you know, we'll just kind of hop right into it here. Uh, please take us through this amazing case and why people thought they were seeing ghosts. Well, yeah, it is, it is an amazing, amazing case. It, it sort of found me... Uh, really, I, uh, I moved to Warwickshire in uh, around about uh, 2001, and um, as I often do, if you want to find out about a new area, I, I bought some history books, and one of the books I bought was a ghost book, and in amongst uh, the books, which is called Ghosts of Warwickshire, uh, by um, a local historian called Betty Smith, who's uh, very respected in, in uh, local history, uh, there was the normal stories of grey ladies and uh, headless coachmen and, and uh, demon dogs, but there was one one chapter which was about these strange uh, lights that were seen in Burton Dasset um, in 1923, uh, and they were described as, as balls of light that were moving at speeds and at different at, uh, altitudes. Uh, and as I, as I read the, the accounts, and there was a number of accounts that was detailed. Um, to me, this seems more like a, a UFO event, uh, and I decided to, to take it further. Once I had a bit of time, it was it was 20 years later, but uh, 20 years later, once I had a, a bit of time, I decided just to look into the story more um, and find out some of the individual accounts and um, uh, do a bit of research uh, around what else there was. Uh, but I also went to the area and did a bit of field work and um, discovered, you know, some some. Um, a, a, amazing uh, anomalies with that area, which I think, if you if you put it all together, sort of tells a story. Um, but I, th- I think well, the reason why people, just to answer, answer your question there, Ben, the reason why I think um, the people thought it was ghosts was uh, it was just after the First World War, and people were looking for uh, confirmation that they would see their their sons. 
uh, and daughters um, again. So it, it wasn't unusual that when um, lights were reported or ghosts were reported, that people would go into the area to uh, to look for them and, and try and confirm the stories themselves. You know, mediumship and, and spiritual churches were very popular at that time. Um, and you, you probably know that but mediumships and, and spiritualism came over from America after the American Civil War, uh, which, is, which is where it, it sort of gained uh, popularity. Mm. Uh, and so people went up into the hills to see if they can see these lights. So it was, it was probably witnessed by, you know, hundreds of people, and it, and it reached a bit of a fever pitch in round about um, February uh, or de- uh, December to February 1922 to 23, uh, so much so that the local papers got involved, and that's very much where the accounts in uh, in the book uh, sort of originate. Yes, one of the reasons we find this case so fascinating, Richard, is because uh, <clears throat> first of all, not only uh, do you take a very sensible feet on the ground. A disciplined approach, as a, as a someone with a police background would, uh, but also uh, you illustrate a point that we bring out very often, and that's that the um, the label upon that, that we place upon these phenomena that we experience uh, will often depend on the context in which we experience them. In other words, if you see a light looking in your window or something of that kind, such, such as occurred in uh, th- this case, uh, you say, aha, it must be a ghost. But if you know, something is close to the ground, a light, or if it's way up in the sky, aha, maybe a UFO, you know, a term that was not in use really at, the, at that time. So th- that's one of the things we're fascinated by. Uh, can you tell us about the case of the, uh, I guess it was the, uh, the, uh, a, a vicar of one of the churches, uh, I th- it might have been the church that we're, we're showing on the screen right now, um, and his experience uh, with the, the, the lights. Yeah, well, the the the, uh, the church, which is All Saint Church, um, yes, uh, is I think is central to the to the story. So it's it's um, e- even its location. I know we were talking before we came on air, um, Paul, about about uh, England not being. Uh, to Warwickshire, but you, Warwickshire is very much like Dorset and Somerset in, in as much as it's lots of market towns in mm-hmm. what is generally undulating, fairly rolling countryside. Uh, Burton, the Burton Dasset Hills are different to that because they are quite prominent. Um, you know, you, you've got to go all the way up to the Malvern Hills out west before you get, um, anything close to, uh, the height of, uh, Burton Dasset Hills. And then to the east, it, all the way out to the wash so they are quite prominent uh, for the area which is one of the reasons why it might have attracted this sort of activity but it is a funny place to have such a big church so as i said it's described as a cathedral in the cotswolds and the cotswolds is is the local area yeah um and there was a a number of people um connected with the church so the, the main one would be the maid who described seeing the lights hither and thither is how she describes them but she also said she wasn't afraid and uh, actually she you know she welcomed seeing them and saw them on numerous occasions uh, and realized it must be in the lights uh, people people were talking about um uh, but the way she describes them uh, moving around su- suggests to me that there weren't ghosts you know if we take our, our account as legitimate there's no reason to th- think that it wasn't um she describes them moving and rolling o- over the hills 
little balls of blue and, and white light, which are, aren't traditionally associated with um, with, with, with ghosts. But the the church uh, started off as a, as a relatively small um, Saxon church, and then um, was in, in, uh, increased by by the Normans, um, and then uh, the village of Burton Dasset did. Um, become fairly successful during the medieval middle ages and uh, a lot of money was put into it and when you go when you go into it and there is pictures in the book i've described it as sparse but expansive so as you you walk through you can see that you're in a a bigger than normal church and i suppose one of the one of the questions is uh why um why inject that amount of money in into that into that church when it, it is out the way you know it's it's up a hill um, there was a, some villages there, but they didn't last very long. Even at its height, it wouldn't have been more than than um, a, f- a few houses, mainly farmland. But it, it, like most high areas, it was used as a sort of marketplace. So I, I think the key thing about the church, uh, which are detailed in the book, is is the carvings and the uh, and the pictures, um, which which I think are telling a story of its own. Okay. In the book, you have a number of illustrations uh, regarding uh, you know, from the church, and uh, that tie into a number of interesting concepts that you present. Uh, in other words, that that uh, the incidents of 1923 were by far were far from the first uh, odd incidents that occurred in the area, and that some of the uh, illustrations in the church might um, uh, indicate some phenomena that had occurred previously. Can you uh, talk about that? Uh, hello? Did we lose uh, Richard here? Uh, still there. Oh. Uh, oh. Oh, sorry, I, ju- I just lost you there. You're back, you're back again now. Oh, okay. But, uh, you gave us <laughs> okay. quite a fright there. talking about the illustrations in the church. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, the illustrations in the church uh, indicating perhaps yeah. uh, uh, some sort of um, even... Uh, Recording, as it were, uh, in art of events that had previously taken place of a, uh, what we might call a paranormal nature, uh, in, um, in the vicinity, uh, in prior years or prior centuries. Yeah, so the, the I mean, there's, there's two elements to the, uh, the artwork, as you rightly identify there. There's the, the carvings, which, um, are, are quite unusual for, uh, churches. So they're along the northern side of the church, which traditionally, um, described in the church as the evil side, and obviously people have seen gargoyles, etc., placed on churches, and they were generally on the northern side to, to ward away the evil spirit. Uh, probably through coincidence, that was the side uh, where the hills are at um, and where the, the lights were seen. Um, and, the, and the carvings uh, um, uh, cover uh, a, a number of different sort of elements. So there's some bits which are showing animals, but some of the animals are upside down, as if they're being levitated. Uh, there's others that are showing hybrid creatures, so half animal, half human. Uh, again, that, that wasn't was unusual, but it was fairly unusual to have them in church. Um, and there was the green man. So the green man was a, an ancient symbol, and it's it's often associated with with the pagan um, uh, beliefs. But it was used in the church to symbolise two cultures joining together so obviously the, the the nature and man joining together or two cultures joining together so there is a carving of the green man in Burton uh, Dasset 
but I think more relevant to ours, to my story is is the pictures. So um, above uh, the main um, area of where the the altar is in the church and the original nave is two two figures: um, uh, uh, the Virgin Mary and uh, Saint Michael. And they're, fa- they're fantastic pieces of work in their, their own night, in their own right. And they're, you know, bigger than life size. And they form an arch, um, at either side of the walls leading up to the altar. But, but more relevant again to our stories, perhaps that there's, there's a number of drawings on the northern side again of the church. Um, uh, one of which is, um, Saint Ethelbert, uh, or believed to be Saint Ethelbert, King of Mercia. Um, and he was beheaded uh, not too far away following a, a battle um, in 794. And um, he's, it's unusual because he's, he's showing holding his own head. Uh, and the reason why they think it's um, St. Ethelbert is he, St. Ethelbert is buried in Hereford Cathedral, which is about 50 miles west of Burton Dusset Hills. And uh, they, they know that he was uh, executed and, and beheaded there. Okay. And then the 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 other figure, uh, you know, there's a there's a couple of um, theories behind it. Um, one is that it's Saint Oswald, uh, which is king, it was King Northumbria um, around the 600s, and he was killed at a battle not too far away at Osentry. Um And when he's depicted Saint Oswald, um, he generally holds a scepter, and uh, this figure um, with his head. But he is, a, he is a king. You can see he's very regal. Um, it does have possession of a of an orb or a scepter or um, a, a bottle of some description. It's difficult to know what it is. So the other theory to that is that it's one of the wise men um, with mm. the bottle. But that does seem out of context. There's, there's generally the wise men come in threes, um, and. Uh, the, there's not there's no Christ child or anything else around in the area, so it it it, it could be a local king, but um, I guess guess what's interesting is is this orb, and um, you know with it within the book I describe why I think that is uh, unusual, but uh, you, know, you know as it, as it's you Ben and Paul I'll go into a bit more details, but there is more detail in the book, but it appears that this orb is is describes if it's rotating. So the artwork would suggest it's rotating. Mm-hmm. And rather unusually, he's not holding it. So in every other depiction um, of St. Oswald, he, he does have this scepter, um, if, you, if you want to call it that, uh, or this orb, but he's generally holding it in his hands. Whereas this is floating two or three inches above the hand, but it, the picture has been destroyed uh, or eroded through natural causes so you can't make it out that it is it is floating. And uh, I, now, I, you know, I'm I'm no expert in medieval art. I, I want to say that straight from the the off. But I, I've done my research, and I, I can't find any other pictures in in medieval art in books or you know through the internet that that show an orb floating above somebody's hand. Generally, it's shown them claps, uh, um, grasping grasping hold of it. And I give a few examples in the book. So, you know, as, as an anomaly, this is really strange. You've got an ancient king that's dated back uh, to around about the um, 7th century and an orb that's floating above his hand. Uh, and the, the, pick, the pattern on the orb 
uh, which uh, suggests movement to me. And it, so, I th- I, and I just, you know, one, once I've done the research on the accounts, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not much of a detective, but I, you know, I like to think I, I know what I'm doing. So, I, you know, I went to the area, and you find out what else looks out of place. And, and to me, this looked out of place. It just didn't seem any logical reason to have this orb floating above uh, the king's hand, unless unless it was depicting something that had happened in that area mm. that a local king wanted to claim uh, or, you know, and, and people wanted to preserve. And, it, and it's worth saying that word again, preserve, because, it, you know, most churches in England, uh, medi- um, medieval churches, would, um, would have been decorated with artwork. Um, but um, due to uh, the Reform- uh, Reformation and uh, Puritanism, um, they, they were they were destroyed or you know um, painted over. But you know the, even when that was happen, happening, someone thought these pictures were important enough not to destroy. Yes. Uh, and I and I just think it's absolutely fascinating when you put it in the context of, of the area as, as a whole. One thing that might explain <coughs> excuse me might might explain the uh, presence of such lights in the area you know, throughout the area would be something you discuss in the book also, Richard, which is earth lights and ball lightning. And earth lights uh, usually being associated with some sort of seismic activity. Uh, What have been your findings regarding that as a possible explanation for at least some of these lights? Yeah, so um, again, in the book I I, I try to cover some of the the theories that have been put forward. Uh, And after after it being a, a UAP, UFO event, uh, earth lights would be, would be my next uh, best uh, hypothesis, if you like. Um, and the, the, there is um, the, there was a bit of a there was a paper done, I, th- I think, around about early nineties uh, about the area called Spook Lights, uh, which was written by a chap you might have heard of called Dr. David Clark, uh, mm-hmm. who's, a, who's, a, who's you know very very thorough, very very knowledgeable uh, man. Um, and I think that was the the um, area he was trying to push these these lights uh, towards. But and there's there's other information. So the roll uh, the roll right stones is a um, a prehistoric uh, landmark. So that's a circle of stones, not too far away in, in the in the Cotswolds. There's lots of stories about what they are. There's there's a ring of stones. And it's one of these legends that uh, no matter how many times you count the ring of stones, uh, you, you always count a different number. I have tried it. It is a bit weird <laughs> because that that is true. It's difficult to keep track on. Um, if you use, I, don't, you, I guess you've come across dowsing before. Oh yes, yes, um, yeah. So if you if you go across the ring of stones uh, with dowsing rods, they they do seem to cross when you cross into the circle, and when you get to the middle, I mean, it, it is a, a, an incredible place. There's, there's local legends. Uh, there's the Whispering Knights and the, and the King. So there's there's four stones that are just set across the other side of the road from the Royal Wright stones that, that look like one stone on its own, looking out as if he was a king off uh, uh, to the to the area that he was he was about to sort of wage war at. And then three knights, uh, three stones laid back from him as if they're whispering and con- conspiring against him. So it is a fascinating area and. Um, uh, earth lights uh, have been uh, described in in that area as blue, white, and, and red lights, and seen 
um, you know, mo- moving around. Um, uh, and there's that, so there's, there's that example which is nearby, uh, and then, of course, a, a great favourite of um, of our, our friend uh, Philip uh, Mantle is the Hestalen lights, where a lot of research has been done, of course, a uh, fantastic event, um, uh, you know, really well studied, um, which is um, which, which can only benefit everybody, I think. Yeah. Uh, and um, th- they're described as blue lights, which are, which are quite, um, to most of the descriptions I've seen, they're, they're fairly fleeting, um, but they, you can see them moving along at speed. Okay. Uh, the, the reason I don't think the, the lights of Burton Dassett were earth lights is because of, of what's described as, as the movement. So one of my my um, favourite um, witnesses is, a, is a, male, a man by the name of Harry White who went out in February 1923 with his field glasses and a couple of his friends to see he can see the lights. And uh, he does see them and he's very excited about it. He tells a local paper. And what he, what he actually says was he, is he, he felt the lights going, o- going over him. So that, that feeling... So that that word felt suggests some sort of downward pressure change in the atmosphere which I don't think you would necessarily get to a natural phenomenon I think earth lights is more of a natural phenomenon I do think yeah, true. The, the lights of Burton Dasset were, were, were technological I'm not sure there was, there was any anybody in them or any entities in them, on one description there is, uh, someone says that they do see somebody in the lights, but that's that's only one description. Uh, every, everybody else uh, um, suggests that they are just balls like. But I do I do believe there were dense technology of some description around that time. So the idea that it, that they've been felt would su- suggest some sort of technology. And also when they're described moving, uh, another favourite witness of mine is uh, the rear wheel signalman who describes how the the amber light, um, so the ambient light, uh, floated over to him. And then just parked more or less outside of his signal box, and looked at him more or less, yes. and then and then floated <laughs> floated off again, and and that to me and, and there's another one where it nearly crashed into a motorcyclist and moved out the way at speed. Um, that to me suggests some sort of intelligence con- intelligent control, whereas I think Earth lights are, are more fascinating as they are, are more of a natural occurring event. Yes, uh, I, I think th- that makes sense. I've heard uh, similar <coughs> stories from uh, the, the from the West Country of England, and I've actually been in in some of the stone circles. Uh, one of which uh, reputedly has more stones when you go one day than it does the other. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it is a it is a, um, it is a sort of a legend that's generally attached to these indeed uh, type of stones. But until you try it, you know, you never you never know. And, I had three children, and they all came up with different numbers <laughs> when we went around. Oh, there we are. Well, I think we can take our uh, middle-of-the-show break here, Ben, and when we come back, I'd like to get into a question from a listener uh, for Richard, and uh, we will do that uh, after the break. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our uh, wonderful guest, Richard Ropey, today all the way from the U.K., and we'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade. 
the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? We're local and live at 99.5 FM, ONAM and FM. And we're back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON. And we have our wonderful guest, Richard Rokeby, from the, the, all the way from the UK today, talking about a case we had never heard of, the Burton Dasset uh, lights upon the hills, if you will, from 1922, 1923. Now we have a, uh, question from a very, very, uh, <coughs> loyal listener, Peter in Bogota, Colombia, uh, South America, who, uh, has sent in two questions. Ben, if you would. Sure thing. Alrighty, so Peter starts off. Uh, Paul, please ask Richard if he has looked into the uh, Egrin lights of 1905. Uh, this was a case uh, in North Wales with similar characteristics. Yes, so, um, yeah, thanks, thanks for the question. So, yeah, after, after I wrote the book, as, as often happens, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, people um, come forward and, and say, oh, exactly. oh, have you heard yeah. of this one? Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, so I had heard of that, and uh, I've looked into it a little bit. Um, that seemed to be more attached uh, to religious significance, significance around the local uh, churches there. Um, but it's still, still very interesting. Um, the, the accounts I've read tend to suggest more of the earth-like type activity, uh, in as much as they don't seem so much under control. But um, it, it, you know, now, now I've uh, picked up my pen and I've written one book then you know at, at some point in, in the in the future there may well be a second edition and, and that's one of the things I've got on me let's just look at that but um yeah it, it's it's um uh, so Peter you know it is a, it is a good shout that um I have looked I have looked into it I suggest probably towards the earth like um uh realm rather mm. than the UAP realm but uh, there, there was quite a um uh, a lot of interest at the time because of the religious, religious significance um, as it seemed to form around the church. Uh, in the Burton Dasset Hills, the lights are seen to go behind the church, but they don't seem to centre themselves centre themselves on it. Hmm. Um, hmm. Uh, but whether you know, you know, my, my hypothesis is: have they actually been depicted within it? Now there is a second question from Peter as well. Indeed, there is, uh, and the question is. Uh, secondly, in other interviews, you have expressed interest in the nearby uh, defense munitions base in uh, Keaton or Kyneton. 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 Yeah. Jeez. How how is there a connection uh, if this base did not exist almost twenty years until almost twenty years later? I, I'm really sorry. I've just lost you a, a bit there. Could you try that question again? Oh, sure thing. Um, so Peter is asking. Uh, that you have expressed interest in the defense munitions base in Kyneton. Uh How yeah. is there a connection if the base did not exist until almost 20 years later? Yeah, well, again, it's one of those anomalies. Um, in, in terms of the events of 1923, uh, I'm not sure it, it did have any any link. Um, you know, it was pointed out to me at some point, um, was the base built there because uh, of the lights? Uh, uh, because of the activity, maybe to monitor them. Uh, possibly, I don't know. I, I suspect it's uh, because it's fairly central to the whole of UK. But it, uh, again, it's just one of those anomalies in as much as if you look at um, UAP events, um, 
unidentified aerial phenomena and you you want a tick list of what you've got then you know one of the tick one of the boxes on your tick list is uh, military base um, so you know, if you look at uh, you know area every fifty one or Rendlesham, etc., you could have a subcategory to that, which is nuclear storage military base. Mm. Uh, and I and I I don't know, and I make this very clear in the book because I don't want people knocking on my on my door. Um, but the the it, it is possible that uh, MOD Kitan stores occasionally tactical or battlefield nuclear weapons because it stores. 60% of all um, the Ministry of Defence's ammunition. Mm. So I, I just think it's one of those anomalies, and it's literally a stone throw. You know, if you if you're standing on Windmill Hill, you look down directly into the into the base, um, and I, and I just thought it was worth mentioning because of its proximity, and because of the connection around UAP events and and military and military bases. You know, maybe there is maybe there is some other link. Maybe there's some surveillance going on. There's no evidence I can find for that, but certainly that there there is this sort of checklist of your ideal UFO event, mm. and one of them is, is military bases. Well, I guess that begs the question: um, is is there still activity today? You know, I, I I'm aware that you have you've had an experience, of, you know, there about a year ago. Yeah, so the, the, uh, there hasn't been a lot of um, activity recently from what I can find. I, I had a chat, there's a park ranger service there, and um, again, as, as part of my investigation there, I, I, I had a chat with the park ranger service, and I asked uh, quite a young guy there, you know, has he seen anything unusual on the hills? Has he seen any lights? Because I was, I was writing a book. And he, he, he ran off and frantically looked through a piece of, some, a pack of papers, and he and he got to one piece of paper, looked at it, and then put it back in and said, "No, I haven't." <laughs> and I, I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder if he had seen something and then thought, mm, "Do I want to lose my job? Do I want all this hassle?" And decided to put it away. Um, but I, you know, I've spoken to a number of people there. There's, there's not been a lot of reports. There was um, a, uh, a a some sort of craft that was photographed on the internet around about 1997. Uh, yeah, have, there hasn't been yeah. there hasn't been activity for for some for some time that I'm aware of, but I I just I just I've got something you know a hunch if you like that that hundred year an anniversary is, is going to be you know is 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 worth looking in that area. So in nineteen in sorry 2023, you know that's that's a you know a blink in time. Um, for so advanced technologies, um, however you want to describe them, and, and I just think you know it's really worth studying that area at that time. And and um, uh, Ben, you, you you know you mentioned my my own encounter. I, I had a strange what you described perhaps as an audible um, uh, event mm-hmm. uh, where where I had a really strange whilst doing some observations there, a really strange um, noise. That seemed to just uh, build and build and build, like being in a, the eye of a storm of noise. And then I, I read an account of a of a similar thing happening in South Africa, hmm. where they described the noise as uh, like a VW Beetle engine. And as soon as I read that, I thought that was it. That, that's the noise I heard. That 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 sort of ticking over and industrial sort of noise. Huh. Uh, and it and it just leads to a, you know a, a increasingly you know fascinating area. I think. 
That is really interesting. It's uh, you know, it's it's one one thing as as someone who has has studied sound. I always find it interesting um, when the noises are mechanical, um, similar to like you know the the Dow's hum and and all that stuff, where it's um, you know it, you need something to create the phenomena, and it's and if you can't quite pinpoint it, especially if it's mechanical, where it sounds like something is has been created to make a sound like an engine, you know, basically revving up. It's, yeah. it's fascinating to me to figure, it just just as a sort of a fun puzzle that will never be solved, how that could come to fruition. You, you, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's it. I mean, where, I mean, as it was, it projected down because I didn't. I was in a I was in a bivy and it was February and it was freezing cold, as it does get there. But I couldn't see above me. But I certainly didn't see any lights, I didn't feel any of this downward pressure, mm. I didn't really um, sense a change in the atmosphere, but there was this noise around me, and it was like being in the middle of an engine, um, and it just getting, and it was revving up and revving up and revving up, and then just stopped, and and, and as quickly as it started, it, it stopped, but, you know, I, I say in the book, you know, I listened to it for a good, you know, five minutes, you know, that, that and that's quite a long time just listening, mm. uh, thinking, it's it building up and thinking well what what is this um so yeah what caused i mean whether there's some sort of and you'd be able to tell us tell me better than me but whether some audio uh, audio projection or something that was that was quite a distance away but was focusing sound um at me so uh, i'm a, you know keen have a keen interest in world war Two and the you know during the radar uh, the advent of radar and um testing out different weapons mm-hmm. they did look at this idea of projecting sound uh, at, at various sort of places and uh, the use of sort of concrete balls etc to, to make sound mm. travel between a certain area and it could be that the area itself is a natural ball that, that sucks in sound um, you know I, I, I don't know but it, you know it just it just adds to the sort of interest of that area yeah my my only question uh, would be if I mean it was it was February so it, you know my 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 first guess would be maybe there's a little if there if there's a little bit of snow on the ground but typically when it's when it's colder um, the air molecules are closer together and sound can actually travel farther and faster through it so it's you know it's like uh, right after it snows you walk outside and it's just dead silent but you can hear something far away it tends to deaden everything else around it. But you can also, you know, it, it's 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 interesting how how it functions. It's kind of like how sound travels faster underwater because it's thicker yes. material that it has to pass through. But uh, even yeah, then, I you mean, know, a car know, engine that's kind of hard to do. Yeah, it is a bit strange of where it was. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. There wasn't any snow, but uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the sound certainly for my time in the military before going out on patrol, um, you used, they used to make you jump up and down to make sure nothing's rattling. Mm. Uh, yeah, right. Because if you had uh, ammunition or if you had metal against metal, it, it, it would travel um, a long way. So, and, and you know, certainly I've come, a, uh, come across that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, is, it, is, a, it is a good uh, point, Ben, and actually it, I, I could have been the focal point of it, but actually the object itself was was some distance away. I really, mm. really don't not, don't know what it was, but it just sort of adds to the the fascination of the area, I guess. Well, uh, wh- why don't we uh, take a moment now before we burn up the hour to discuss your book, where people can find out more about it, and uh, what you're working on next. 
Yeah, so the, yeah, so the book's available uh, Amazon um, and or through uh, Flying Disc Press with Philip Mantle. But if you just go into Amazon and search the Lights Upon the Hills, it'll come up there, and um, you can you can order it. Uh, again, a, a tip for your your listeners: if you, if you get on Kindle and look it at uh, look at it on your uh, iPad or your uh, t- tablet. Then the, the the pictures are in colour, so you get a bit more get a bit more detail. Uh, but the the hard copy is good as well because it's it's you know really proud of how it's been uh, been produced. It, it uh, is, uh, I have it on Kindle myself. That's where oh I good it. yeah and uh, yeah it's uh, I must say it, it it's an easy read. It's it's not a long book. Uh, I guess I, I can say that Richard writes. As I try to, which is uh, concisely and briefly, you, you know, you don't you, you don't use twenty words to say what you can say in three, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very enjoyable. It, it carries you right along. It's a great book. So I, I urge no, that's very to, that's very yeah. it's very kind. Yeah. So it was it was my my first uh, uh, go at writing, and I, and I had to get the story out. That's what I said to to Philip. I just felt that the story was strong enough that I, I wanted to make you know the world uh, aware of it. It's it's. Uh, Yes, it's it's concise. I didn't want um, too much bells and whistles and go too much off off piece. If you like, I wanted to keep it to the to the point because I think there's enough there to de- to describe. Yes. A lot of people said they've enjoyed uh, reading it with with their families. You know, it's it's. I wanted to make it accessible um, just so you know people can can read it and under, and understand the story from sort of any any age. I think there's enough there that if you're an adult to to keep you interested. But if you if you're quite young and just getting into the topic uh then it's you know it's it's uh it doesn't blow you away too much for the science i wanted to sort of show the investigation i put in so yeah thanks paul that's, that's very kind of you no, no, I, um, in I terms like of what approach. yeah uh in terms of what i was doing next or um uh although i don't like to go on <laughs> too much about um being a being a police officer i, I do think there is there is something in uh, police accounts of of, of ufos um, and, and I think I'd, uh, there's, there's a couple of well-known, um, well-known cases, of course. <clears throat> but I, I, I think that I, I, I could maybe uh, look at look at them again. Um, there's, there's a famous one with Alan Godfrey, who's very, uh, very, um, or, or was a, a very uh, brave uh, um, and uh, honest man who, who had an account. Uh, an incident in 1980, um, and, and investigated a fascinating case involving uh, a chap whose name was, was also called Adamski. Uh, oh yeah, but yeah. not 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 the not the not the not the famous Adamski, but where where a, a Polish gentleman was found on top of a a coal heap, um, mm-hmm. and uh, near Todd Morton, uh, and he had scorch marks on the side of his head. Um, he'd somehow got to the top of a coal heap and not got any coal dust on him, other than where he was where he was lying. Uh, and it, and and he had a, and um, PC Godfrey had the same. Was also had a, a, a very well documented UFO event when he saw a craft uh, turn the corner in his police car and saw a craft just hovering there. Um, so I I I I, I, I think. Some of those stories are worth uh, worth looking at again, but what I really want to do is is try and um, get some new accounts. You know, that's why I was I, I'm, I'm you know I'm proud of Lights Upon the Hills because it hadn't I don't think been looked at it in in the UFO light before through a UFO lens before. 
Um, and I think that's its, you know, unique, unique selling point is it, it's a, it's a um, relatively unknown, if not completely unknown story. Yes. But, but, but also I, I do, I do think there is other UFO encounters out there that's happened to police officers. And because of their status, if you like, because of the, um, pressured environment that they, that we work in, probably don't make it to the light of day and um but i but i think I've, I've probably got enough uh contacts and credibility um within the police force to to really get out some new stories and, and i think that's what excites me just trying to find those new stories and new accounts so that, that's what i'd like to work on in the future very good we've done shows on uh, police experiences uh, on your side of the pond with Gary Hesseltine and a few others and on uh, and here with uh, Jim Bauk and some other fellows who have police backgrounds but uh, before we uh, we end we have a little time uh Richard if you would uh, share a few more examples of uh, people's experiences during the 2223 period in uh, the Burton Asset Hills I think that would add to the uh, flavor yeah yes yeah, so, well yes yeah, so um so there's a number of accounts uh, detailed in the book, but um, and I did touch touch on it um, briefly. But um, my 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 favourite, I think, is the real woman. So yes. the the real woman, he he's uh, unfortunately we don't have his name, but it, it is uh, detailed in uh, one of the one of the papers um, or the, the the papers, which was the um, Banbury Gazette, uh, and this this is is a man who's responsible for people's lives and he's responsible for the reputation of the the steam uh, train company and uh steam trains were the primary source of of um travel back then and as i said uh, earlier on the the net the rail network is, is extensive in that area <clears throat> and slightly less so today but at that time being the central point uh and this this real woman is is a professional observer and he's uh, he's he's trained to notice things for the signals. He's trained to notice things that uh, that, aren't, that are on the line. He's he's taking care of a, of a train and people's lives, and he's in a he's in a box that's designed to be a, a viewing platform to give you 360 observation. And he's in a place called Nightcut, uh, which is about a mile mile and a half from the Burton Dasset Hills, and uh, he's on duty uh, one morning, and he describes a white orb that floats down from the direction of the hills uh, and he watches it come along and then uh, it doesn't say land but hovers in in front of his um, uh, observation box his signal box Um, and then he describes how this form then uh, floats off again towards the hills now the the description of it is very similar to another piece of um, artwork within the ch- church, which is uh, an oval type uh, shape, and um, as, you, as you're probably uh, well aware, and your listeners are well aware, that oval shape does come up a lot. Or the egg shape uh, does come up a lot in, in UFO accounts. Um, and he, but he's so concerned by um, this that he he uh, he phones the local police, uh, the local Warwickshire police. And it, it must have been so convincing, his account, um, that the, the desk sergeant uh, picked up the, f- uh, you know, the phone, dispatched a uh, vehicle crew to the scene. And um, 
you know, there's a bit of artistic license, but I, I can imagine the two police officers turning up there and then um, talking to uh, the real woman who's, you know, uh, shocked and white and describing what he saw and thinking, well, should I be telling them this because, you know, my livelihood depends on it. Uh, and he tells them the account and, the, you know, you can imagine uh, one of the policemen sort of licking his pencil and jotting it into his notebook while the other one... <laughs> Yeah. Look, looks off, looks off towards you know towards the hills to see where this orb had gone. But I, I just, I just think because of the nature of the the witness there, for them to do that, it must have been an incredible event. He could have just decided, do you know what, I'm not going to tell anybody about this, about this. But you know, the, it, it was it was strong enough to you know the compulsion in him was strong enough to notify the police. And I guess. He's doing his job as well. If there's something floating around near the railway line, uh, uh, he doesn't know if it's solid or not. Is it going to cause an accident? He's yeah. he's doing his, his duty, but um, I still think it's a strong compulsion to to stop that. Not not to interrupt, but but one of my favorite stories in the book is that of the motorcyclist uh, coming up one way, and, and apparently the uh, one of the lights was coming down the other way on the on the road. Is is that? Do I have that correct? Correctly. Yes, uh, so yes, yeah. The, the motor, the motorcyclists. You, you can imagine. And motorcycles were still uh, relatively new, relatively new at, the, at that time, 1923. But yeah, there's a, there's an account in um, which I think came from the the uh, course of Warwickshire book, where there's a motorcyclist travelling along the country roads, and you know, I, I describe it must be exhilarating because it, you know, uh, at that time the roads were relatively uh, relatively quiet. Uh, and he, he turns a corner, described to see a light moving at speed uh, towards him, uh, and you wonder who was who was the most scared there. Um, <laughs> you know, was it was it this this object, um, or was it the motorcyclist? But uh, the motorcyclist describes how it, it turns off and shoots off into the sky. Uh, and I think that's it. What I would say is I think that's an important point. Is people describe these these lights as as sort of welcoming, and they don't. One or two people describe them as eerie, but most people describe them as positive. And I, and, I, and I do think, overall, this was a positive experience for people, which I know is not always the case in, in, in ufology. But I, I do feel that uh, these... these I, I'm beginning to think that what they probably were were um, some sort of um, probe uh, that was, was, was called to that area for some reason, perhaps because of its height, uh, perhaps because of the the way that the hills are set out in quite a distinctive pattern, which I cover in the in the book, in as much as it sort of matches the uh, Orion's Belt and uh, the the Giza uh, Plateau, and and if you if you see the uh, if you if you go there in February, uh, and again I describe in the book, Orion's Belt is is so prominent in the night sky, directly above the hills. Um, it's, it's as if the um, it's as if Orion is, is literally standing on the hills, you know, holding up his his his, uh, his uh, stick and holding up his, his either his shield or the, the lion skin, whatever story you choose uh, to, uh, to, to 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 follow. And it's and it's and it just seems again one of these strange anomalies that. Um, that this may, the main uh, bulk of the sightings happened in, around, in and around February, um, and it's it's when Orion is 
is so prominent in the night sky and again uh, is 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 there a is there a link there you know i'm not sure but it's just a strange anomaly with the area but uh, just going back to the original point I, i do think this was a positive experience for people in the area i don't think these objects came with any malice at all you know there's there's there's, there's no description of that and and certainly their action its action on seeing the motorcyclist to move out the way um i i think just illustrates the fact that uh, they were looking for something a number of people have said do you think they're looking for something i think they probably were the way that the lights are moving it seems to be a bit of a grid search at some at some times what i don't i don't know it could be the iron ore so that as a um burton desert hills has a rich history of iron ore if you were to go up there you'd see lots of scoops out of the out of the earth um and they, they were certainly using iron ore from there during the first world war and they used to have a train line that went up and down carrying the iron ore up and down so it could be something to do with the iron ore that, that took him to that area uh but yeah it's uh, you know yet another anomaly you know in this sort of fascinating area really uh, you make some important points there, Richard. Certainly the one that uh, I, I would pay attention to as well is uh, the fact that people were not frightened uh, in most cases. Uh, that means something, in my experience anyway, uh, particularly uh, uh, in uh, even the, the Mothman events of the 1960s in the Ohio Valley here. That was uh, uh, <clears throat> something that uh, people would be terrified of this creature, this but some people were not, and some people felt a very, very, very positive uh, experience there. Uh, also, the notion of probes. Um, our old friend, uh, the late Ted Phillips, uh, was uh, a fellow from Missouri here, and he had tremendous uh, num- uh, amounts of, of evidence of physical uh, landing and other physical things that had been associated with the UAPs or UFOs. And uh, he believed that many of these uh had changed from somehow nuts and bolts craft that people thought were from other planets to light balls as he called more or orbs or things of this kind uh, such as such as were seen during the Burton, Burton Dasset case uh, and he believed they were probes so you're not alone in that opinion yeah i think so in terms of the, their actions and how they and how they looked i i do think um that that's that's beginning to be my sort of school of thought um, with it, and, and again, there is there is some sense in, in that, isn't there? Again, to make some sort of reconnaissance or to check out an area uh, first. I mean, maybe the, maybe the, they did it, and, the, and they found that actually the, the you know whatever they were looking for wasn't there. But th- this event, fortunately, is being captured at the at the time by the newspaper reports and yes. witness accounts and. Um, you know, we're, we're able to tell tell the story now, and, and and again, like I say in the book, you know, it it may well be, you know, 100 years on, which I know is going to be a bit of a random number, but it may well be 100 years on, there'll be some more activity there. Mm. All right. Well, we're just about out of time, Richard. Uh, thank you so much. Fascinating conversation. And the book, once again, folks, The Lights Upon the Hills, The Burton Dasset UFO events of 1923, uh, available on Amazon. So please check it out. All right, Ben, uh, if you'd take us away with our announcements. Sure thing. Uh, so I guess plans are still on for an in-person uh, New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th in Kittery, Maine. Uh, we plan to be there both days, uh, but we will do a live broadcast from uh, of this show from there on Sunday at noon. Uh, then we're scheduled to speak 
uh, right after that. No, well, not right after that, but at about 3.15 that afternoon. Uh, and other speakers will include Shane Searway, uh, of, of our, of our, our, one of our many, many co-hosts, uh, Andy Kitt, and Dennis Stone, uh, Nomar Slovic, the Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, Kristen Evans, Dave McCullough, Lynn Nickerson, Tom D'Agostino, and many more. Check it out on Facebook, New England Parafest 2021. All right, so we're working uh, hard on our new book, Behind the Paranormal 3, Uneasy Skies, on the UFO UAP subject. Also contributing will be our colleagues Shane Searway, uh, Alexander Petikoff, and Valerie LaFaso. <clears throat> the book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with the greatest researchers in the UFO field, and I think we're going to include Richard in that, aren't we not? Mm. Yeah, as well as some of our own... <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, a bit of a surprise to you, but we'll get to with you about permissions, things of that kind. Um, so surprise. Anyway, oh, no <laughs> surprise. Uh, look for the book release toward the end of this year. Okie dokie, and you can check out our current books along with those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can also find out more about this show. And our many cases over the years, our public appearances, how to book us, along with our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And on that subject, our 900th show is coming up in July, and we're, we're thinking of some very special uh, surprises for that particular broadcast. Indeed. So we have reloaded recorded shows into the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com back to 2009. One more year and a lot of special shows to go. Uh, past shows back to, uh, to that period are also available on major podcast platforms, including YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And we have a glitch with that as well. I just found out this week, and we're working to fix that. Some of the most recent uh, shows have not been uh, uploaded to those, uh, but we're going to fix that this week, hopefully. Okay. So, Paul, uh, Paul, I'm Paul. Ben. Uh, yes. <laughs> what, one of those weeks. What's uh, cooking for next week? Well, next week, that's February 7th, uh, in her first appearance on the show in 11 years. We'll welcome back uh, Paula Lupizzi. Uh, Harris for a look at her work with uh, Cole Philip Corso. Colonel Up. Philip. Return Colonel to this Philip. radio frequency Up. 167 so we'll hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.